And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Lamar. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Jeff Chandler stars as that red-headed Irish detective Michael Shane on the new adventures of Michael Shane from 1948. Then Ronald and Bonita Coleman star in a comedy episode of The Halls of Ivy from 1950. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. What's going on? You know, all good listening to some good classic radio. Yeah, well, we have a good detective adventure to start things off. Mike likes the detective adventures. I dig. Yeah, he like, you like Michael Shane, right? Yes, He's I do. Good. Yeah, we're going to start things off with the new adventures of Michael Shane. Good detective adventure starring Jeff Chandler. Let's go back to September 13th, 1948. This is called A Problem in Murder. Part one of Michael Shane. The first flash of lightning lit her up in a blinding silver light. The rain had plastered her dress tight to her big body. The gun was in her hand. It didn't waver an inch. It was only a matter of seconds until the lightning struck again. Only this time it would be man-made lightning from the muzzle of a thirty-eight. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. Michael Shane, reckless red-headed Irishman, is back again in his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call A Problem in Murder. Hello, Shane. It's nice to know that when homicide calls, you come right down. Why, sure, Inspector. Don't I always oblige? Sit down. Thanks. Working? Sort of. For who? A guy with the unlikely name of Lemuel Barrington. You like Shane as a name? You like Lefevre? Hmm. What kind of a job? All I know is what he told me in my office. He wants me to meet him at five this afternoon at a house he just rented out on Chef Highway. He, uh, he's from out of town. You're not working for anybody else? No. You know a fellow by the name of Frank Carter? Mm-mm. You Sure. Hey, you look like the original cat with a canary in his mouth. What's the pitch, Inspector, or uh, aren't I old enough? Let's take a walk, Shane. Okay. After you. Thank you, sir. Who's uh, Frank Carter? A stiff. 
Yeah, that's what I figured in as much as we're on our way downstairs. We're a pretty nice gang down here at headquarters, don't you think, Shane? Oh, princes. We go out of our way to be polite. We don't mess people up. We even treat some private detectives real nice. We cooperate. And sometimes you get some cases solved for you that way. Now along comes a thing and we got to go to work. You know, when somebody gets himself killed, then we got to find out who did the killing. It's our job. Mm-hmm. Now, this thing now, we like to feel that the people we cooperate with cooperate with us. I can go along with the cooperation, Inspector. Sure. Sure, Shane. I knew you would. Right under that sheet. That's Frank Carter. Yeah. Mm. It's not very pretty. Nobody's pretty when they stop a thirty-eight slug with their head. Still dressed and everything. You want to know if I ever saw him before, hmm? Well, now, you see, it's easy when you know what we want. I never saw him before. Now, Shane... A very dull type. Where'd you find him? In an alley down to the waterfront. Well, then what are those grass stains doing on the knees of his trousers? Raining outside. I get it. He walks on his knees, huh? Could have slipped. Oh, it looks more like he was doing something on his knees, Inspector. Those aren't skid marks. The grass stains are rubbed right into the cloth. Mm-hmm. It's the face I want you to remember. Uh-uh. No can do. Try. Not a good. Harder. All right, you've been playing 20 questions with me since I came in. I give up. What's the answer? Stick your hand in this coat pocket. Oh, no. Go on, Inspector. You pull out the surprise. All right. Take a look. Yeah. Michael Shane, private detective. In... I know it was a good idea to have those cards printed. It's good advertising. Yeah, well, you might have advertised yourself right out of business, Shane. Funny how a guy you never saw in your life turns up dead with your card in his pocket. <laughs> The day started out wet and promised to get a good deal wet. New Orleans rain has a habit of overdoing things. A character from out of town, Lemuel Barrington, stepped into my office to make a date for me to meet him later in the day. And then I got a phone call from Inspector Lefevre at Homicide. He wanted a date too, but right away. So I swam over to police headquarters and he took me downstairs to the morgue for a look at a stiff named Frank Carter with a 38 slug in his head. The inspector thought I ought to know the dead man because he happened to have one of my business cards in his pocket. I didn't, so he let me leave for my appointment at Barrington's house way out on Chef Highway. The water had reached hubcap level by the time I got there. It was a lonely spot. Lonely and soaked. I splashed my way across the road, dashed under the porticos. Pretty dark, and there weren't any lights on in the house. I pushed a button. I never did like rain. It's swell for farmers and crops and irrigation. But like I always said, why does it have to rain on the sidewalk? Maybe he wasn't home yet. At least it was dry under the portico, and he should be along soon. Oh. Why don't you turn on the lights, Mr. Barry? I felt like the back of my neck had been smacked with a sledgehammer, and I'd never be able to straighten it again. I opened my eyes and saw I was nose-to-nose with a figured pattern on the rug. For a big boy, you do a slow dive. Maybe it was my position, but she sure looked big. Big and massive, but beautifully proportioned. Sort of Lana Turner, king size. Don't you know better than walking in without an invitation? You mind if I get up? After all, there's a lady in the room. Sure. I'll give you a hand. Thanks. Oh, oh, easy, my my neck. It's a pretty fair rabbit punch. (laughs) I learned it from my kid brother. Oh? He as big as you? I'm not so big. You'll do until another 170-pounder comes along. No fat. I should say not. You bet there's no fat. Oh, I'll muscle. Who are you? 
I was just going to ask you that. Uh, I'm Mike Shane. I'm... Diana. Good. Well, let's start our friendship all over again in a different kind of spirit. You haven't got a gun, Mike. Do I need one? I have. What do you want here? I got an invitation from Mr. Barrington. I thought this was his house. I'm looking for him myself. Now, if you'll just beat it... Stop waving that gun. Some other time, redhead, I might have a different idea about you, but right now I'm busy. Oh, I bet you'd tell that to all the boys, you slut. All right, let's cut the lovemaking. I'll see you sometime. You're going to send me out into the rain, Diana? That's the way you came, isn't it? Yeah, but I didn't have a stiff neck then. Uh, how about massaging it for me? Huh? I told you, some other time, Mike. Okay. I sure wish I'd brought my life raft. You know, you're kind of cute. I'll look you up. Uh, give me a ring first, Diana. I might have another date. No, I won't late date anybody. I splashed back to my car, drove it up the road about 20 yards, and hid it behind a large and stately oak, just in case she was watching. Then I got out and doubled back toward the house. About six feet to the right of the front door was a porch swing. And this one had a canvas top to keep off the sun, but it was just fine to keep off the rain, too. I crawled in and waited. Barrington was due pretty soon. I wanted to see what Diana was up to. It was cozy on the swing, stretched out. I was working on my third cigarette when a coupe breaststroked up the road and stopped in front of the house. A man got out, but it wasn't my client Barrington. Now, this guy was small with a thin face. He rang the doorbell and waited. Then rang it again and waited. And pretty soon the door yawned open and he stepped inside. The last I saw of him, he was staggering under a rabbit punch. I began laughing inside. Within three minutes, the door opened and the little guy came out. He staggered to his car and as he raced away, he splashed water all over a squad car coming toward the house. Inspector Lefevre and Sergeant Dice got out and made the run for the portico. I poked my head out from under the cover of the swing. Bring it, Dice. It must be pretty important to bring you out in this rain, Inspector. Oh, Shane. Leave it to you to find a place to lie down. What are you doing out here? Waiting for my appointment with Barrington. Yeah? Anybody in? You'll find out. I'll uh, stand by here. What are you grinning about? Am I grinning? Yeah. Open the dikes. Maybe nobody's home. Well, just walk right in. You kind of dark there? Go, go on. Go right in. Oh, I don't know what you're expecting, Shane. Dykes, try upstairs. I'm disappointed. I thought... Oh, what happened in here? Well, obviously somebody was looking for something. That's very neat about it. Must have happened in the last 20 minutes. Oh? What are you doing here, Inspector? I'm working on a case, remember? Frank Carter. Oh. And I'm real glad to see you here, Shane. You mean there's a connection? A guy by the name of Lemuel Barrington and this Frank Carter had some business together. Not really. And Lemuel Barrington's your client. And this is Barrington's house. Now tell me what you know, huh? Well, you know I don't hold things back from the police. Yeah, sure. What are you doing here? Well, this is where I'm supposed to meet Lemuel. He hasn't showed? Nope. Now, you still haven't told me what's going on. Well, according to some papers that we found in Carter's place, his deal with your client involved 50 grand in cash. Oh, could be that's why this place is turned inside out. Who did it? Diana, probably. Diana who? She didn't say. Who is she? She didn't say that either. Maybe she was in that car that passes when we came up. No, that was somebody else. How do you know? I've been watching from the swing. Oh. If you really want to know what's happening to Diana... Yeah? Listen. Hey, that's my squad car. With Diana at the wheel. 
Now, look, Shane, this is the last rotten trick you'll play in the department. I'll lift your license, and I'll see you never work in this town again. One more thing, Shane. What's that? As far as this case is concerned, I figure you in it up to your eyeballs. Now you can drive us down to headquarters. Well, I went down to headquarters for the second time. But Inspector Lefebvre didn't have anything on me but a suspicion I knew more than I told him. Frank Carter had wound up in the morgue with grass stains on his trousers and my business card in his pocket. I'd never seen him before, but Lemuel Barrington, a client of mine, seemed to be mixed up in the Frank Carter thing. I'd gone out to Barrington's rented house on Chef Highway, but he didn't show up. An Amazon named Diana was there. After clipping me and another guy, she methodically tore the place apart, looking for $50,000. Since she'd made off with the inspector's car, I obliged him by driving down to headquarters, being very careful not to embarrass him more than I thought he could take. Then I went back to my office to pick up my phone messages. I found my client Barrington there, waiting for me. Mr. Shane. Oh, too wet for you out on Chef Highway, eh, Mr. Barrington? I couldn't go back to the house. But you could send me there. Now, listen to me, Mr. Shane. I am a law-abiding citizen. I came to New Orleans to conclude a business transaction... With Frank Carter? Yes. yes. I brought $50,000 with me, intending to invest it in a company to be formed. But I found out that the intentions of Mr. Carter were not, uh, not the purest. So you killed him? Killed him? He's dead. Oh, Mr. Shane, you're joking. The stiff in the police morgue is no joke, Barrington. But, but, you see? You see, they're desperate. My feelings were right. Yeah. What feelings? All they want is my money. All Who's they... they? That, uh, that woman, Diana, and Carter, and Caesar. Caesar? Uh, a little guy, Finn? Oh, an obnoxious person. Mr. Shane, they intended to fleece me out of my money. You think Carter was killed by Diana or Caesar so they wouldn't have to split the money with him? I don't know. They don't have the money. I do. It's mine. Oh, where is it? That's why I came here to your office instead of going to the house. What's why? Now, wait. You're going a little too fast. Slow down. The money is at my house. I, uh... I, I... I'm afraid to go there. Oh, that's my job, huh? Well, I'm paying you for it. Well, how do you know it's still there? Diana turned the place upside down. I don't think she found it. Where is it? In the refrigerator, on the freezer shelf. <laughs> Frozen assets, huh? I don't find $50,000 a humorous subject. Now, your job is to get it and bring it to me. Okay, Barrington, make yourself comfortable. And by the way... Yes? You better keep the door locked. The wrong person might knock. I drove out Gentilly Boulevard and onto Chef Highway, the water four inches deep and rising steadily. It was a good day to curl up with a book, if you happen to be literary-minded... When I swung off the highway and started toward the house, I almost missed seeing the car parked in the exact spot I'd hidden a few hours before. It was a little character's car, Caesar. He wasn't in it. I pulled up in front of the house and dashed under the portico. I rang the bell. No answer. I splashed around to the back. The kitchen door was locked and I was already soaked to the skin. The third window I tried groaned a little, but slowly it went up and I went in. Dark and the rain was blowing in. I shut the window, looked around. I was in the dining room. I started toward the hall, but suddenly I felt something cold and hard nestle up against my 14th vertebra. One second, bud. That, that uh, that gun, move it a little to the left, will ya? I, uh, I got an itch. Yeah, very funny. Come on, into the living room. Where's Diana? You talk too much. Okay, it's far enough. You notice the condition of the room? I saw it before. Diana was looking for something. Maybe she didn't find it. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe. Maybe you'll help me. I wouldn't bet on it. I would. 
What are you doing here? I'm waiting for Lemuel Barrington. Yes, so am I. But in the meantime, I might find what I'm looking for before he comes. What? Never mind. What are you waiting for Barrington for? I don't know. I asked a question. Stop waving that I gun. I asked a question, bud. Where's Diana? How do you know her? Fell for her right after she clipped me behind the ear. Yeah. You're here after that dough. I told you why I'm here. Barrington sent you over for it. Maybe Frank Carter sent me. Come again. I said maybe Frank Carter sent me. Yeah, I guess you know too much, bud. Well, I don't know enough. I wouldn't send anybody out into that rain, bud. That's real neighborly. At the same time, I don't want you around. You got a problem. Yeah, but it's easy to figure out. What do you think? That's what you ought to do, huh? up, Caesar. Think. Where did you drop come from? Drop the gun, Caesar. Now, look, Diana, this I guy wants to... drop it. Okay. Uh-oh, Mike. Don't bend down. You might get a permanent crick in your back. I, I was just going to let the water out of my neck. Yeah. Trying to cut me out, huh, Caesar? Ain't that what you tried to do to me before? My privilege. I'm bigger than you. Beat it. Well, into that rain again? Let me stick around a while, Diane. Maybe the rain will let up. Can't you see we want to be alone, You Caesar? shut up, you. I'm getting tired waiting, Caesar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> see, Mike? He's a good boy. He's learned a good lesson one time or another. You didn't find the 50 grand yet. You know about that? I'm working for Barrington, remember? And Inspector Lefevre's going to hate you for borrowing his squad car. I'm more interested in the money. Barrington's money. He welched on a business deal. With Frank Carter and you and Caesar. Yeah. But Carter's dead. That's a shame. Why was he killed, Diana? I don't know. Oh, it doesn't make sense. Frank Carter didn't have the money. Why was he killed? You got me. Maybe you killed him. Maybe. Maybe Caesar killed him. Maybe. How about Lemuel Barrington? Yeah, maybe he did too, but I don't think it matters much what you think, Shane. Too bad, too. You've got such nice shoulders. Now let's get down to business, hmm? Uh, before we do, just one thing, Diana. Sure. What? The grass stains on Frank Carter's trousers. Any idea how they got there? No idea. Let's get back to the money. I haven't got it. But you know where it is. I figure you were sent here to bring it to Barrington. You figure wrong. I don't think so. Mm. Nice perfume. I, I never made love to a girl before while she held a gun on. Mike, the dough. Where's the dough? All right, Diana. But let's talk this over. I... <laughs> hey, you're, you're straining my chivalry. The dough, Mike. I can use this gun another way, too. Don't force me. Now, where's the money? Uh, it's in the kitchen. Then let's go see. You understand I don't have any grudge against you, Mike. It's just the money I want. Under different circumstances, I think we could make beautiful music together. Well, right now, we don't even seem to be playing in the same key. <laughs> Maybe you just have a bad ear for music. Okay, where is it? In the refrigerator. Why didn't I look there? I don't see it. Under the cold cuts on the freezer shelf. Oh. She let out a yell when I slammed the door shut on her hand and she dropped the sheaf of bills. I grabbed the money and made a dash for the front door and heard her start after me. I started around the side of the house heading for the trees about 50 yards of water away. But behind me, the front door burst open and... 
Well, that was too close. I doubled around, started toward the back of the house. It was tough going through all that water. A streak of lightning ran up the whole backyard, and I caught a glimpse of it not 20 feet behind. It was black again, and I turned to start around the house, and something hit me in the shins. I spread eagled in the foot of muddy water. Another flash of lightning hit. She was almost up to me now. The rain had plastered her dress tight against her body. The gun was in her hand. It didn't waver an inch. It was only a matter of seconds until the lightning struck again. Only this time, it'll be man-made lightning from the muzzle of a Colt 38. Let's take a break from the new adventures of Michael Shane. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the new adventures of Michael Shane. I started to get to my knees and felt more than hurt her sloshing toward me. A foot caught me in the ribs and I went under again. She must have tripped too because she landed right beside me. I caught her right arm and twisted it just a little. I felt the fingers of her hand relax around the gun. I felt better. I sat up in the water and looked at her. She was a real mess, but so was I. I wondered how she looked in dry clothes and without a gun. Then she started to laugh. And it, it was funny. I had the 50 grand in one hand and a gun in the other. The, the rain was coming down in sheets. We were sitting in a foot of water looking at each other. And Diana was laughing. I guess maybe the laughing jack did it. There'd been a few ideas swinging around my head all along, but I've been too busy dodging raindrops and Diana's rabbit punches to give them much time. The only possible solution to the whole mess took shape in my mind as I watched Diana standing in front of a mirror in Barrington's living room, brushing her hair dry. She looked real cute, all of her, in a loud pair of Barrington's pajamas and his robe. I'd changed to a smart Glenn plaid suit I'd found. It was good to be dry for a change. The telephone operator got me through to police headquarters, and I asked for Inspector Lefevre. Lefevre? Uh, Mike Shane, Inspector. What do you want? I want to give you Frank Carter's murderer. Thanks. Well, you want me to forget it? I'm listening. Go ahead, Sherlock. Who killed Frank Carter? Frank Carter? Very funny, you and your sense of humor. I'm not kidding. 
If you want to pick him up, send a couple of men down to my office. They'll have to bust the door down to get in, but I... Well, I'm sure the police department will make restitution. You better be sure you know what you're talking about. Never sure. You pick up Carter, and I'll be down to headquarters a little later with the details. What do you mean, Carter? Who's down in the morgue? That's Barrington. The real Carter is waiting in my office. Do I have to draw a blueprint? You sure this theory of yours holds water, Shane? What doesn't today, Inspector? So long. Hey, wait a minute. How about that girl who stole my squad car? The squad car? Well, I'll, uh, I'll be working on that, Inspector. What's he beefing about, Mike? I left it on Lafayette around the corner from the city hall. Oh, maybe he doesn't like the, uh, the idea of it, Diana. <laughs> you figured it out all pretty cute. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with me? Well, now that you're demobilized, I think I can handle you. Mike, how did you figure Carter killed Barrington and changed clothes with him? Well, first of all, he shot Barrington through the head so there'd be no bullet holes in the clothes. Probably did it right here in the backyard of the house. But why? Well, the wet grass stains on the knees of the trousers on the dead man. It makes sense if you figure Carter had to kneel in the grass beside the real Barrington to take his clothes off after he shot him. Then he drove Barrington's body over to the docks to get as far from this place as possible. Only there's not much grass growing on the docks. Real sharp, Mike. And the card I gave Carter when he was posing as Barrington in my office. <laughs> he tripped himself up when he forgot and left my card in his pocket when he switched the rest of the identification. Then Barrington must have told Carter the money was hidden in the icebox before Carter killed him. Logical. That rat. Trying to pull a double cross. Just like you tried to do to Caesar. But after all, I'm a woman. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't forgotten that. Well, what now? Wouldn't you like to try to talk me out of turning you in for stealing the inspector's car? Can I? I doubt it. Why don't you try anyway? I bet you can be real persuasive. Barrington's 50 grand went to his family in his hometown. That is, 50 grand minus my fee. I eventually got my clothes dried out, but the back of my neck will never be the same. Inspector Lefevre agreed there were extenuating circumstances. The rain and Diana's borrowing his squad car. He was, in his way, grateful for me handing over the murderer complete with details. He'd neglected to report the car stolen anyway. He was a little embarrassed about it. And maybe that crick in my neck will serve a good purpose. I, uh... I've got a date with Diana. She's going to see if she can't make it feel better. This is your director, Bill Russo, again. Our story was based on characters created by Brett Halliday and was written by Lester and Gerard. The music is composed and conducted by John Duffy, and Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chandler. The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. Next week, you'll hear Michael Shane in another thrilling adventure from mysterious and colorful New Orleans. And that's the new adventures of Michael Shane from September 13, 1948, with a problem in murder starring Jeff Chandler, also in the cast Jack Webb and Lester Ann Gernard, and that was syndicated. Hope you enjoyed that. Before we tune in to the Halls of Ivy, I want to remind all of our listeners about Remind Magazine. And look who is on the cover of the September issue of Remind, Lisa. Look at that. 
Kind of looks like me, doesn't it? It does the look fonts. a lot like you. He's yeah, kind of cool like you. Yeah, huh? he wears his hair like I do, oh, wears same. a black leather jacket right. like me. You just look like him. <laughs> and this issue is all about going back to school. Happy high school days. And I wrote about Archie Andrews in my column. You know, I write a column every month in Remind Magazine called Radio 360. You can pick up an issue or subscribe to Remind Magazine by going to their website, remindmagazine.com. This uh, magazine is all about nostalgia. It has games. It has music. It has fun. It has comics, all kinds of pictures. It's just a beautiful four-color magazine that is all about what we love, nostalgia, radio, TV, film. And go to remindmagazine.com to check it out or pick up an issue at any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store across the country. Remind Magazine, one of our main sponsors here on Hollywood 360. All right, it's time now for the Halls of Ivy situation comedy starring Ronald and Benita Coleman. Came to NBC Radio in 1950. This was created by Don Quinn, who co-created Fibber McGee and Molly. It was a really fun series about a professor at a college and all the um, trials and tribulations of running a college. And Ronald and Benita Coleman were the stars. This is an episode called Poetry Reading from July 5th, 1950, Part 1 now of The Halls of Ivy. Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, presents transcribed The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. That surround us here today And we will not forget Though we be far, far away Welcome again to Ivy Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA It's Saturday afternoon, and the Ivy campus has the deserted air of a United States destroyer when the crew is away on shore leave. But there are two still on deck, Commodore William Todd Hunter Hall, otherwise known as the president of Ivy, and his good mate, the former Victoria Cromwell of the English Theater. There's reason for the Halls to be aboard, but to Dr. Hall, the reason is far from good. I don't know why I stand for it. Year after year, I lose pounds. My nerves are shattered by the mere anticipation of it. But they love it so, Toddy. It's such an event for them to look forward to. They don't have much fun, you know. My dear Victoria, to use the word fun when speaking of the Ivy Women's Civic Reform League is ridiculous. Self-improvement is rarely fun. Particularly when the necessity for it is so evident. Dr. Hall. Please remember, you are speaking of an organization which I have been invited, even urged, to join. (laughs) And which for five years, to my certain knowledge, you have successfully ducked. I wish you luck for the next five. (laughs) Put five more on it for me. The one real inducement is that I could at least hear you read a poem to them once a year. Personally, I think it's much too good for them. Uh, If I could get out of this thing, I would gladly give you a personal command performance once a week. Well, you can't. You've got to be their lion once a year, just as long as you're president of Ivy, unless you don't need their support or their money for the college. I do. The love of money is the root of all evil. And for Ivy's sake, I'll water the roots. (laughs) (laughs) 
But if it weren't for that horde of women, if there were only a man or two around, I would quite enjoy it. I wouldn't mind once a year exchanging the musty air of the campus for the heady aroma of ham. But to this audience... Ah, Toddy, they're really very nice. Yeah, but they frighten me. (laughs) When I think what putty I am in the hands of one woman, well, this gathering could use me to tighten every loose window pane in America. (laughs) You just got opening night jitters. (laughs) You think that after appearing before the Women's Civic Reform League eight years in a row... I'd be a seasoned performer by now. Yes, too bad you can't have a line of dancing girls for support. Yes. Yes, <laughs> most attractive. <laughs> the chorus of Tarara Bumdier between each verse might really help the box office. <laughs> what poem are you doing? The Eve of St. Agnes. It's a request number and not my favorite among Mr. Keats's work. Mm. Guess what selection would you prefer, Doctor? The shooting of Dan McGrew? Face on the barroom floor? Oh, boots? No, no, I I take my poetry rather seriously, as you know. And while I was a great admirer of Robert's service in my youth... You are now an ex-service man. (laughs) (laughs) But poetry has a function even in this atomic age. Great poets catch something of eternal truth in their lines. Those cobwebs of verity which are as strong as steel holding in suspension the beauty and perception which distinguish us from the rest of the animal kingdom. Hmm. I hope you wrote that down, my darling. I can use that again sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Yours of July 5th received and contents noted. Uh, Vicky, who's that? What? Out the window. That enormous young fellow slinking back and forth in front of the delphiniums. Oh, yes. Seen those shoulders before? Isn't that Philip Carnes, our best fullback? Why, yes, it is. I believe he's known on the campus as Moose, the Texas Moose. Very aptly named, though our garden is a trifle small for a game preserve. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's he doing out there? I wouldn't know, Toddy, unless it has something to do with that little talk I had with him in the bookshop this morning. A football player in a bookshop? Was it raining? (laughs) (laughs) No, he'd gone in to use the phone. And uh, he seems so frightfully depressed. He has a love problem, Toddy. And I gave him some very constructive advice. Oh, I'm sure you were very helpful. What advice did you give this love-torn giant? I advised him to come and see you. Oh. (laughs) Well, that's what I always advise everybody. I figure I like to see you, so why shouldn't everyone? Well, thank you. A nice sentiment, although the... The sequitur is definitely none. (laughs) (laughs) I must say, I didn't expect him so soon. I know you don't want to be disturbed right now. Well, he seems quite undecided about coming in. Maybe if we're very quiet, he'll go away. Mm. I believe he is going away. If he is, he'd better start. Anything as large as that will take several hours to get Hull down on the horizon. (laughs) No, he's coming back. Oh, can't you see him for a few minutes? Whatever his problem is, I'm sure it'll keep one more day. Young men have a tendency to magnify these things. He can't be as miserable as he looks. (laughs) Such trivial things as this shouldn't be permitted to. Oh, well. Uh, Philip. Yes, sir? Come in. Yes, sir. Dr. Hall, I suspect you of having nice instincts. In fact, I've been collecting evidence of it for years. And I have you just about convicted. 
Well, I might as well see him now and get it over with. I'll probably have a very busy schedule at the college tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's Sunday. Oh, well, Sunday will be a busy day, too. Getting the hammock out of the basement, stringing it up, lying in it, getting out and stringing it tighter. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave you two alone for your man-to-man talk. Oh, you make me feel like Judge Hardy. (laughs) Well, you have the large economy size Mickey Rooney to deal with, Judge. (laughs) I hope it's interesting. Ah, come in, Philip. Thank you, sir. Right in here. Sit down, won't you? Thank you, sir. Yeah, you, you, you'd better take the large chair. All right. Gee, I, I, I'm sorry, sir. I, I didn't see that smoking stand. Uh, they, they call me the moose, you know, and uh, it's not because I'm so graceful. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't your fault, Philip. You know, uh, since you came in, the entire room seems to have shrunk. Please visit us often. You make me feel quite dainty. <laughs> well, uh... Uh, how's, um, spring training coming along? Just fine, sir. Just fine. I suppose you, you wonder why I, I suppose you know why I came over to see you. Well, Mrs. Hall did mention something about a problem. You probably think I'm kind of dopey, bothering you about something like this. Oh, not at all. If you just tell me what your problem is. All right, sir, I, I will. Uh, it's about my girl, Dolores. Dolores Whitaker. I met her the first of this semester in chem lab. We shared the same Bunsen burner. <laughs> we uh, we didn't talk too much at first, just chemistry stuff like H2O. That's water. Yes, I <laughs> And as a morsel of knowledge to share with one's love, it's a little damp, but it's a definite beginning. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, I asked her to go to my fraternity dance, but she had a date with a guy named Joe Shellhammer. Uh, you know Shellhammer. He's that tennis player. He's always flapping around in white flannels. Well, uh, I didn't like to ask her to break a date with him, but on the other hand, if, if she did go with Shellhammer... Uh, Philip, 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 I, I don't mean to rush you, but couldn't we get to the heart of the matter? Oh, uh, yes, sir. Well, uh, anyhow, uh, we've been going steady for the last six months... We have our own private code. <laughs> it's a, a love code uh, in Latin. Well, Latin is the parent of the Romance languages. And uh, <laughs> at the age of 12, I, I furthered my own amours with a species of code in Pig Latin. <laughs> <laughs> a girl named Wilma Crumb. <laughs> She's now a police matron. <laughs> Huh? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, every morning... <laughs> every morning when I pass her in the hall, I say to her, Amo Amasamat. And she says to me, Amama Samadisamat. Oh, yes, yes. First conjugation, present indicative of the verb amo, meaning to love. We've been doing that every morning for six months. I say to her, Amo Amasamat. And she answers, Amama Samadisamat. Uh, Philip, if you if you pardon my saying so, I, uh, I not only deplore the monotony of your linguistic exchange, but uh, the nature of your problem still escapes me. Oh, well, uh, here it is. <laughs> Yesterday, when I said to her, "Amo amasamat," 
She didn't to mama somebody. She, 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 she didn't, what? That's my problem. Why didn't she? Well, <clears throat> maybe she doesn't love me anymore. I wouldn't jump to conclusions, Philip. She may simply have forgotten. Forgotten? That's just it. People forget only what they want to forget. I learned that in Psychology 1A. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't believe that's irrefutable evidence that her affections towards you have cooled. She may have had something else on her mind. Girls are not always thinking of boys, you know. Sometimes they think of clothes. Uh, particularly if they are about to meet a boy. Uh-huh. That indicates an unconscious resentment of the love object. Uh, something else on her mind, I mean. I, I learned that in psychology, too. Oh, my dear Philip, I- I'm beginning to think that, like knowledge, a little psychology can be a dangerous thing. The human skull has seven apertures. This permits a sound, sensible thought to escape in a different way every day of the week. <laughs> well, this thing is, is really getting me down. Overnight, I've gone from 220 pounds down to 218. Uh, well, Cupid has always exacted his pound of flesh. Two in your case. <laughs> you're, you're a large target for an arrow, you know. I must be getting neurotic. Maybe I ought to be analyzed My only suggestion is That you select a psychiatrist with a sturdy couch Otherwise it might break down before you do (laughs) You're ribbing me now, Dr. Hall (laughs) I guess I deserve it No, no, forgive me, Philip I, I really want to help you I know this all sounds pretty goofy Every morning when I meet Dolores in the hall and she says those, those few words, it's, it's like telling me she loves me all over again. It, it makes me feel good. It picks me up for the whole day. I, I go around saying to myself, Moose, you're a lucky stiff. She really loves you. Hmm. <laughs> I guess it's kind of hard for anyone else to understand. Philip, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone before. About an hour from now, I'm going to recite a poem for a local group. Something I do every year. It's not an earth-shaking event, but, but it's important to the organization which sponsors it. Every year when they call on me, I, I stand up to face that audience with my knees trembling. And then I reach into my coat pocket and I'll find a note. It's a note from my wife. Just a few lines of encouragement. She never fails. Oh, it's a small thing, Philip, but it's it's very important to me. So, so you see, I do understand. Yes, sir, I, I guess you do. Funny, you, you never think of older people doing things like that. One of the compensations for being older people is a certain increase in understanding and a slight dulling of supersensitiveness. One is not so slowed down by being cut to the quick. When young people are in love, they tend to be upset by little things. If you allow yourself to be unduly hurt by every tiny act of inattention, it's, well, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like not seeing the forest for the trees. Say, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> it, um, 
Always has been. <laughs> but perhaps you'll take the word of an older man who may be just a little bit more experienced about these things. I was about to say wiser, but that's a different thing. Experience and wisdom are bedfellows, but sometimes experience snores too loudly. Well, gee, thanks, Dr. Hall. I, I'm going to run over and see Dolores right now. And that's the first portion of The Halls of Ivy from July 5th, 1950, starring Ronald and Benita Coleman. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time it's the conclusion to The Halls of Ivy starring Ronald and Benita Coleman. Then it's a good international intrigue story on Cloak and Dagger starring Raymond Edward Johnson from 1950. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.